the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Spiritual leadership requires godliness before skills and maturity before personality. And I think we see this in 1 Timothy chapter 3, just in little glimpses that Paul gives us. Verse 6 of the same chapter says, And he must not be a new convert, that is, a newly planted one, not a new convert lest he become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. So we know, first of all, he can't be a babe in Christ. It needs to be someone who has grown over the years. And then if you look down at verse 10, in speaking about the deacons, it says, and let these also first be tested. They say, but wait a minute, he's just speaking about a deacon there. No, he says also. It means also because that's just like the elders. Elders and deacons in a church first need to be tested. That does not mean that you bring them into a room and give them a midterm exam. It means that they have to prove over a period of time their commitment to Christ, their maturity. today's verse-by-verse broadcast, I wonder, do you ever look at your leaders and get discouraged? I mean, do you ever think, I could never be like that? Perhaps we have all had some thoughts to that extent. We need to remember, the point of leadership is to serve as a model for the rest of the congregation. They are to be what God intends every Christian to be. So we can't isolate this passage of Scripture and say it's just for leaders. It is for all of us. A true godly leader really takes time to develop. Men don't become elders overnight. Our leaders should be an example of spiritual maturity in the Lord. And I suppose this is really what makes them different from natural leaders. With that in mind, we have much to learn on today's verse-by-verse broadcast. So here is Pastor Steve Kreloff as he continues in our series, God's Standards for Church Leadership. We have been studying for the last few weeks this issue of leadership found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, marvelous passage of Scripture, and we want to continue tonight studying it. But I want to say just by way of introduction that sometimes when we think about leaders or we look at leaders, we tend to get discouraged. We tend to think, oh, I can never be like that. And yet you must understand that the point of leadership is to serve as a model for the rest of the congregation. That leaders are not up here and everybody down here. The leader and leaders in the local church are to be models for the flock because they are to be what God intends every Christian to be. So we can't isolate this passage of Scripture and say that it's just for leaders. But there is a tendency, I think, to look at leaders and be discouraged and to think that I could never be like that and I could never be godly in their mold. But a true godly leader really takes time to develop. 
Men don't become elders overnight. It takes years maturing through struggles, through trials, through disappointments, in order to be molded into the man of God that they are. In fact, this is why they are called elders, because the term elder means an older one. And I think in the context of the New Testament, it is speaking not so much about physical age, but about spiritual maturity. They are spiritually those who are mature in the Lord. And I suppose this is really what makes them different from natural leaders. The world has its own image of leadership. The world has its own executive type leader, which we would call the strong natural leader. Natural leaders have natural abilities. They have innate skills. They have a human personality that seems to inspire confidence in others. But spiritual leadership is not like that. Spiritual leadership requires character before ability. Spiritual leadership requires godliness before skills and maturity before personality. And I think we see this in 1 Timothy chapter 3, just in little glimpses that Paul gives us. Verse 6 of the same chapter says, And he must not be a new convert, that is a newly planted one, not a new convert, lest he become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. So we know, first of all, he can't be a babe in Christ. It needs to be someone who has grown over the years. And then if you look down at verse 10, in speaking about the deacons, it says, and let these also first be tested. You say, but wait a minute, he's just speaking about a deacon there. No, he says also. It means also because that's just like the elders. Elders and deacons in a church first need to be tested. That does not mean that you bring them into a room and give them a midterm exam. It means that they have to prove over a period of time their commitment to Christ, their maturity. There is a testing period. It's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 5. says, lay hands on no man suddenly. Don't be too quick to appoint someone. Let them first be tested. In Acts chapter 6, we find that when the early church needed men to lead in the physical distribution of food for the widows. They chose men who were full of the Holy Spirit, men of integrity, men who were wise, men who were filled and controlled by the Spirit of God. Now, I want to encourage you tonight as we start off because I want you to know that I look back on my own life and I see that I wasn't always a leader. In fact, if you had a vote the least likely to be a leader, you probably would have voted for me back in my days at Moody. And I've thought about this because I think there is a tendency for us to look out in the Christian realm and see men of God who we think that we can never be like them. So let me encourage you. I have heard many success stories about men who were just natural leaders. I just want to encourage you and tell you where I'm coming from. I went to Moody and I decided in one of my years to run for class chaplain. I lost. It should have been a sign to me of things to come. I lost. It wasn't like there were a lot of people running, but I think there were two people, and I was the one who didn't make it. I decided in my junior year to run for pulpit club president, and I thought, certainly I can win that. I'm only running against a freshman. Who knows him? The great advantage I have is that at least people know me. So I was told that night as I was to come there to be prepared to state my name, a little bit about my background and so forth, which basically as a Moody student means you state your name and your major and what year you are at Moody. And so I did that. Must have taken 30 seconds. I sat down and the fellow who was running against me honestly gave a speech. He went on to say, and if I'm elected, I will do this and this and this for the pulpit club. Guess who they voted for? It wasn't me. I was so humiliated that I lost to a freshman. 
that honestly, I hung my head in shame. I walked out of there later, and I walked up 10 flights of stairs. I just couldn't face anybody, and I lost. I should have taken that as a sign, but no, no, I didn't. I applied to be a resident assistant in the dormitories. That is the fellow, and for the girls' dorm, you'd be a girl who would be sort of in charge of the floor. You'd work under a leader, and you'd be in charge of the people on that floor. And so I thought this would be good, and I applied for it, and I was turned down. Yeah, you. that's what I thought. I should have learned then, but no. I sensed the Lord was calling me to be a pastor, and I ought to get some preaching assignments. So I went to a man in the area of assignments in that part of the ministry at Moody, and I told him what I'd like, and I was overlooked in place of others. In fact, a number of others who got what I considered to be great assignments and to work with such men as Warren Wearsby, who was pastor then at Moody Church, and I think my name was very far down on the list. And I remember having a meeting with Dr. Sweeting, the president of the Institute. We were in his office together. I was looking for encouragement by this time in my life, and I was about to graduate from the school, and I said, Dr. Sweeting, do you find, has experience shown that students who are leaders at Moody become leaders after Moody? Now, I was hoping that he would say to me, Steve, we have found that that's really not an indication, that there are some who have latent abilities here, some who are late bloomers. I was hoping he'd say that, but you know what he said to me? He said, that's exactly what we found. We have found that if a man is not a leader here, he will not be a leader outside of here. I want you to be encouraged. That's the point of this. A spiritual leader takes a while to develop because it takes a while to become mature. And some people are late bloomers. It just takes time. There's no instant leadership. There's nothing like that. There are skills and abilities, but God is not so much interested in that as he is in a man's availability to him. And the encouraging thing for us is that it can't be explained on the grounds of natural ability. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that leadership in the church is different from being an executive at IBM. That leadership in the church is far different from being one who has all the natural abilities and has gone to management seminars and so forth. Jesus said in the kingdom of God, the greatest is the servants of all. His disciples didn't understand that. They were arguing about who was greatest in the kingdom. It's supernatural. Spiritual leadership is supernatural. I think the best book that has ever been written on this, in fact, maybe the only book, is called Spiritual Leadership by J. Oswald Sanders. And he has in here an interesting illustration of that. I quote, he says, that spiritual leadership and authority cannot be explained solely on the grounds of natural ability is strikingly exemplified in the life of St. Francis of Assisi. On one occasion, Brother Maceo, looking earnestly at Francis, began to say, Why thee? Why thee? He repeated it again and again as if to mock him. What are you saying? cried Francis at last. I'm saying that everybody follows thee, everyone desires to see thee, hear thee, obey thee, and yet for all that thou art neither beautiful, nor learned, nor of noble family. Whence comes it that it should be thee whom the world desires to follow? When Francis heard these words, he was filled with joy, raised his eyes to heaven, and after remaining a long time absorbed in contemplation, knelt praising and blessing God with extraordinary fervor. Then he turned to Brother Maceo, and he said this, Thou wishest to know. It is because the eyes of the Most High have willed it so. He continually watches the good and the wicked. 
And as his most holy eyes have not found among sinners any smaller man, nor any more insufficient and sinful, therefore he has chosen me to accomplish the marvelous work which God hath undertaken. He chose me because he could find none more worthless, and he wished to confound the nobility and the grandeur, the strength, the beauty, and the learning of this world. End of quote. And I think that really sums up what we're talking about. In fact, I look back, and I can relate to that. I look back in my days of Moody and think the only thing I won was Michelle's hand. Quite frankly, it's because she had vision, right? I thought you'd enjoy that. Mr. Zondervan gave me a book called Humor in the Pulpit. I'm going to be wild after this. But we are looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3. And 1 Timothy chapter 3 is like Titus chapter 1, in that Paul lays out the qualities that a leader ought to have. Now, I think they have two different purposes. I think, as we've said, that Titus is dealing primarily with appointing elders. That's his job on the island of Crete. But Timothy's job is to help evaluate, and the church to evaluate the men they already had. And we've gone over this in the past. They had elders for about 10 to 13 years before Timothy came on the scene. And so the purpose of 1 Timothy 3 is not so much to appoint men, though I think that's a secondary purpose as they would look for new leaders, but to evaluate the men who were already there, who in many cases were just blowing it. And that's the problem that we find at Ephesus where Timothy has been planted by Paul. In the first verse, he says this, It is a trustworthy statement if any man aspires to the office of an overseer as a fine work he desires to do. Basically, that is the significance of leadership. It is a fine work. It is an excellent work. It is a noble work. And the early church recognized it, and that's why Paul says it is a trustworthy statement. In other words, it is one that the church endorses, a creedal-type statement. But from verses 2 through 7, he gives the standards for being a leader. And that's what we've been focusing on, the standards. And I believe there's only one standard. I believe there's only one qualification, and that is found in verse 2. An overseer then must be above reproach. One standard, above reproach. All the other things are categories of areas in which the man must be above reproach. Above reproach means that there is no accusation that anyone can lay hold of that will stick. Leaders are accused of all kinds of things, but there is no valid accusation that anyone can say and it will stick. He must be above reproach. There's no one sin in his life that someone can look at. It's obvious to everyone they can point at and say, this man shouldn't serve. He is to be above reproach. And then Paul begins to give us the different areas in which he must be above reproach. Last week we looked at the first one, and that is the husband of one wife. That is the marital life. That is that he is to be a one-woman kind of man. He is to be committed to his wife. He is to be madly in love with his wife. He is not to be interested in any other woman. He is not to have intentions with other women. A leader must be above reproach in his marital life. There is a purity there. He is devoted to one woman. That is the meaning of this. But tonight, we want to look at another area that's not quite as controversial as the husband of one wife, which we dealt with last week, and it's one that we tend to overlook. I think there are a few controversial areas that people tend to focus on, and they overlook the others. But in God's eyes, these are just as important, and that is the mental qualifications. Now, this doesn't mean he has to go to Bible school or he has to go to seminary, but there are certain mental qualifications, not so much intelligence, but a godly mind, a clear mind, a sober mind. So let's look at that. Tonight, very briefly, we're going to look at three areas of the mental qualifications or standards for leadership. Number one, Paul says in verse two, he must be temperate. That's how my version, the New American Standard, translates this, temperate. The authorized version translates this word vigilant. And sometimes this word is translated as sober. Literally, the Greek word means wineless. It means without wine. 
That's the literal meaning. Abstaining from wine entirely. It is unlikely, though, that Paul is using this phrase in its literal sense. And I'll tell you why. Because if you look at verse 3, he will deal with that. Verse 3, not addicted to wine. It is unlikely that in verse 2, he's going to say the same thing that he will say in verse 3. No, I take it that Paul is using this term in a metaphorical sense. That is, he's referring to mental and spiritual sobriety and behavior. That's the point here. And the thought is this, an elder must be clear-minded. That's a good word, clear-minded. That is, he's not given to extremes. He's temperate. He's not given to extremes. He is a balanced man. Something that is missing in the ministry is balance. He looks both ways in his judgments. He's not rash. He's not an extremist. He is a stable man, one who thinks clearly and isn't given to extremes in his life. Now, this is very important for a man in the ministry. Very important, whether you have the position that I do of in the pulpit each week, or whether you are one who works behind the scenes, but in leadership in the church. One of the keys to an effective ministry is balance, to know where to draw the line so that you don't go off on tangents. There are so many men in the ministry that go off on things. They are majoring on minors, and they get carried away, and they go overboard on one thing to the neglect of the other. You see, an elder is also an overseer, which in a sense is picturesque of one climbing up on a ladder who oversees the work of the ministry. I find that there are a lot of men who can only see their area of ministry, can only see the one thing that they are involved in, and they lack the vision, and they lack the insight and the temperate mind to look over everything and have a clear view, clear-minded If you look at Titus chapter 2, you'll see some insight into this word. In Titus chapter 2, verse 2, Paul writes to young Titus, he says, But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be, first of all, he says, temperate. That's the same word. You would expect an older man to have lived long enough not to be an extremist, right? He's seen it all. He's not going to go off on tangents. You hear older men saying, I've lived enough to know That experience teaches this, not to go off here, to be balanced, to wait, to observe. That's what Paul's saying. Maturity brings with it a temperate mind. He doesn't overreact to situations. One of the awkwardnesses of youth is that a youthful person tends to overreact. And that's just part of growing up. But an elder ought to be one who doesn't overreact as a characteristic of his life to situations. He needs to be alert, or else he's going to find himself as an extremist, off track. Now, this temperate approach to life will keep him from making unwise decisions. He'll keep his head straight in all kinds of situations, and that's what God needs in leadership. His life is one of temperance, too. It's not just that he's clear-headed because he doesn't take wine. It's not just that at all. It's not just that he can make clear decisions in the pastoral area of life, but he doesn't overindulge in his life. In other words, he is clear-minded because he is one who does not overindulge in life. He's not an extremist, for instance, in his eating habits. He's not a glutton. Not a glutton. He doesn't go overboard in sports. He may like food. He may like sports, but he doesn't go overboard in those things. He keeps them in perspective. See, that's the great danger of having someone in the ministry who does not have balance. And they lead churches to be imbalanced. They get off on this doctrine. They get off on that. You want someone in leadership who's going to cut the word of God straight and going to lead in a path of righteousness without going to an extreme in one way or another. He stays clear-headed because he doesn't allow himself to overindulge in any area of life. He doesn't swing to the right. He doesn't swing to the left. He sticks with the priorities of the Word of God. 
Now, when an elder is clear-headed as he should be, temperate, sober, he'll see things clearly as they really are. Do you see the point? If you're not clear-headed, you're going to have a distorted view of spiritual reality. Just as a man who drinks wine to its extreme and gets things distorted and out of reality, so a man who isn't temperate in his life will distort spiritual reality, and it could be devastating to a church. How devastating could it be? In 1 Peter chapter 5, I'm going to just share with you some verses that God has in his word that mention this term temperate. They may be translated differently, but it's the same Greek word. In 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8, Peter writes this, be of sober spirit. That word sober means temperate. Be wineless. Now he's talking in your spirit. Now he's not talking about drinking wine, metaphorically. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. An elder needs to be sober-minded to withstand Satan. And if he overindulges in an area of life, he is not going to be spiritually alert. And if he is open to Satan, he's going to take the church right with him. Secondly, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul uses this word again. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. He says, For the time will come, Timothy, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. But you... Be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. He needs to be sober-minded so as to withstand false teaching. Needs to be clear-headed. He's not to be an extremist, or else he will be open to false teaching. The implication is, and if he's open to false teaching, obviously he will drag the church along with him. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we read another time this word is used. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Paul writes to this church, So then let us not sleep as others, but let us be alert and sober. The word sober is the word temperate. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. A temperate man is one who needs to be sober-minded to withstand immoral darkness, to withstand the immoral day in which he lives, to just walk through life without dragging the church and himself down into the gutter. A Christian leader has to face life without going to extremes. That's what Paul is saying. So he is clear-minded as he faces the pressures and the decisions of the ministry. And that's God's standards for all of us. That is the standard that we all are to be balanced. We all are to be men and women who are temperate. There's another word that Paul uses, and this is the second of the mental qualifications or standards, and that is he is to be prudent. The King James Version translates this word as sober, and sometimes it gets a little confusing about temperate and prudent. And while the words are similar, I don't believe Paul is repeating himself. Obviously, he's just given one word, and now he gives another. There may be some connection, but they are different words, and they mean different things. The Greeks derive this word from two words, which mean to keep one's mind safe and sound. That is the literal rendering, to keep one's mind safe and and sound. In other words, he's speaking of sound-mindedness, which is close to being clear-headed, but it's a little bit different. And I believe the word, after researching this out and looking at all the different translations and the meanings of this, I think the word that best reflects what the heart of this word is, as Paul is using it here, is sensible. He's to be sensible. 
He isn't rash, but he's cautious in his judgments. He has spiritual sensibility. An elder must be sensible, sane, must be reasonable. That's the thought here. Now, apparently, Paul wrote this to Timothy because there were elders at Ephesus who were not being sensible. They were accepting the nonsense of the false teachers at this church. A sensible man isn't swayed by false teaching. He doesn't hear something and say, oh, it sounds great to me. Yeah, let's go into it. No, he is sensible. He is cautious. He isn't rash and easily swayed by every new concept that comes down the pike. As we were coming to the end of today's verse-by-verse broadcast, Pastor Steve was talking about being temperate or sober-minded. He reminded us that a church leader or a Christian leader has to face life without going to extremes. He is to be clear-minded as he faces the pressures and the decisions of the ministry. And really, that's God's standard for all of us. We all are to be balanced as we go through life. We have been studying in 1 Timothy chapter 3, with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. This series is titled God's Standards for Church Leadership. But as we are learning, these standards are for us as well. Before we go, I'd like to remind you about the Verse by Verse podcast. It's a great way to go back and listen to a particular lesson again. Or if your radio listening schedule gets interrupted, you can catch Verse by Verse at your convenience. To sign up for the podcast, please go to versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.